Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We are a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs, founders, startups, and their connection to uh, angel investors, to venture capitalists, to family offices and investment firms of all kinds. And um, uh, we want to remind you, we do not make any recommendations to buy or invest. Um, this is for informational purposes only, so make sure to do your own research. Uh, today, we are delighted to have with us um, Jim Frederick. He is the CEO of Native Traits, and he is coming to us from the, um, how can I say this, the uh, mellifluous town of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Welcome. Welcome, Jim. Good to have you. And and what I Thank you very wanted much, to tell Michael. people, first of all, is when we, we first spoke, you said, well, it's been very busy. Um I'm, you know, uh, you're a farmer. Native Traits is a, is a uh, company that develops uh, what you call ancestral seeds from a, you know, from a um, agricultural department database um, and then plants them based on their traits in the, you know, in the current environment in the real world. So you actually spend some of your time out on the farm, don't you? Uh, well, not as much as I like. Unfortunately, I'd, I'd have <laughs> subordinates that get to do all the fun work, and I I get to do all the uh, uh, financial work and administrative work. But I am the developer of the technology, and of course, I watch. So, tell over us the, the idea behind Native Traits and and how you came to start this company. That's a good question. Native traits in the seed industry uh, is by definition what you would call non-GMO, naturally occurring traits. These are not the genetically engineered traits that we often hear about in the popular press and the newspapers and so forth. These are traits that we discover uh, in strains of corn that are basically in a seed bank. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there's over 20,000 strains that are in the corn seed bank that's in Ames, Iowa. So what we have done is develop technology that allows us to efficiently screen these strains and then recover those naturally occurring traits that have a commercial value. Uh, in these days, those are things like drought, drought and tolerance cold tolerance. And cold Tell tolerance. us about so, how you went about finding the right traits in this database of so many, so many different seeds that the USDA um, uh, takes care. You know that maintains. How, how did you how did you find what you found? We developed some specialized technology that allows us to screen on a massive scale in the field. So it's real time, it's for, you know, the same conditions that a farmer would uh, have, but screen these strains uh, on an individual plant basis. And so that's much more efficient and less cost costly uh, than doing what uh, the big seed companies might do otherwise. This is a very specialized and when you say you do that in the field, seed. I sort of have a visualization of what that might look like. But what, how, do, how literally do you do that? How do you, how do you test this in the field? 
part of the secret is we, we um, plant the seeds very precisely and we fertilize them very, very precisely so that we can measure the performance of each individual plant. And then uh, we have a proprietary algorithm that uh, uh, allows us to compare those to the neighboring plants. And, and so by ones. selecting the best ones, you mean the ones that are most um, drought resistant, the, months, the ones that are most tolerant to the cold, for example? That is correct. And here near Kalamazoo, we are in a good position, of course, uh, to screen for cold tolerance uh, and also for drought tolerance because the soils here tend to be very sandy. And so how many drought. different strains did you test before you settled on the ones that you're moving ahead with? Well, it's an ongoing process. We, you know, there's no such thing as having the best. We're always trying to improve everything that we have and uh, most importantly, we will combine different traits and put them together in a package. Uh, so that okay, makes it so, more so unique. Okay, so when you have algorithm, algorithms, you have software that does this, but what's the result? So you, you dig into this uh, ancestral archival database of, of seeds, you test them, and what, what kind of results have you been getting so far with the corn, with the corn seeds? Well, we find that uh, with our main, most popular trait, which we call EASY, which stands for Enhanced Seed Yield, we can get uh, a boost in yield of about 20 bushels an acre. Uh, and typically a seed company, when they're doing their traditional type of, of corn breeding, they might get at most 10 bushels an acre. So we can kind of leapfrog, we can basically run a generation faster than they can. What, what, what they do in one generation, so two you, generations, you are, they can do in you one are actually uh, So it makes it much faster. You're actually doubling and, the yield? Is that Do I have that right? You, you they, they, they yield 10 bushels, you're yielding 20? We're doubling, doubling the increase. The, okay. the increase. Uh, a seed company, when they introduce a new product, it might be 10 bushels better than the previous one, but ours are Okay, and what does that mean in dollars and cents? What's the real um, output? What's the real result of that? Well, in this day and age where corn is, uh, <laughs> the price with what's going on in Ukraine and everywhere else, the price of commodities is just going through the roof. But uh, last I checked, it was about $7 a bushel. Um, and so if you can increase uh, that by, uh, you know, multiply $7 a bushel times 20, that's $140 per acre that the farmer is getting as a benefit. Um, and that more than pays for the, the, the royalties that we charge. The royalties are usually about $15. So, so you get a royalty on, much the, better for the uh, on the seeds that they plant that come from you, that come from native traits, right? That's the model? That's correct. Uh, although we don't 
interact directly with the farmer, that would be much too big of an operation for us to take on. What we do is we work with other seed companies uh, and they market, uh, market the, the strains on our behalf. And that's very, very common in the seed industry to, to work on a licensing basis. Go ahead. So the farmer. Well, I was going to ask is the nature of these distributors. So no. do they really <laughs> dominate the seed business? Um, are they kind of the key players here? Uh, there's about four companies uh, that act as what you might call technology brokers. Uh, they're not they're not huge companies, but they have they have a lot of technology that flows through them. And these companies uh, can basically broker or represent us uh, to over a hundred seed companies just within the United States. Uh, and these seed companies might be very, very large companies, or they may be mm-hmm. family-owned mom-and-pop type companies. Uh, of course, the latter is very receptive to us because they're <laughs> their competition. And is how, to what degree are your seeds like out in the marketplace them. now? But this is our first year of commercial production. So we're just now getting it out. In fact, that's what we're doing uh, as far as our financial raises. Uh, we've, we're way past the proof of concept stage. And what we're doing now is scaling up the commercial production. And that's just a process of multiplying and, and how, how, more and more seed that we can sell. How do you prove to and the to distributors that, in particular that you are getting these greater yields? Do you have, a, do you have tests? Do you have data? How do you, how do you establish that? Uh, that's a very good question. What we do is we work with either the distributors themselves because they have a network of what you would call test plots uh, all across the Midwest. Uh, so we, we can do that. And then we also work with contract research companies that specialize in field testing. Uh, for example, this year, all total, we'll have something in excess of about 50 locations. With your seeds in the ground. Uh, running from Ohio to Nebraska. And um, so correct. what does the that's, competition that's look like? I'm, I'm assuming uh, Monsanto is a major player in this. I'm even assuming that uh, um, uh, GMO type of seeds are uh, may obviously a big player in this. Um, you're selling, I guess, essentially an organic alternative to that. Is that right? That's correct. And we feel like this is an unmet need. Uh, the large companies like Monsanto, or uh, which is now owned by Bayer, or let's say uh, Syngenta or Cardiva, uh, they have a bit of a conflict because they're trying to sell seeds that are genetically engineered to require the use of their herbicides, which they sell. Uh, so the smaller seed companies look at us as a, a way of offering a product that is not so dependent upon what the, the big companies but I would assume your products sell. But I assume, so Jim, your, your products would also, at least Go in ahead. some cases, use uh, herbicides. Is that right?
That's correct. It's just a question of quantity. There are ways of controlling weeds that don't require herbicides. And I think that there's going to be a trend towards that. You might heard, have heard of regenerative agriculture. That's a big thing in uh, the agricultural industry this, in this day and age. Anything that can reduce chemical inputs or anything that can reduce costs to the farmer is very, very attractive. And there are ways. We're talking with Jim Friedrich. Uh, pardon me, Jim Frederick of uh, Native Traits. He is the CEO of an interesting, very interesting ancestral corn company that has delved deeply into the USDA database and found seeds that are drought resistant, that are uh, resistant to cold and are um, uh, not as dependent on, on herbicides as we just heard. Jim, I'm going to shock you by saying, you know, I used to work on a farm. I worked out here in... Uh, well, that's good. It was in Watermill, New York that's in Long good. Island. Where was your farm was, at? Uh, you know, fresh vegetables and produce. It was, and still is, I'm happy to say, run by the Halsey family, who um, have actually been on the same land since the 1600s, and they're still farmers. So it's kind of an amazing story. And they have actually gone from uh, using, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of herbicides to going completely organic, as I understand it, as I'm told. So they've kind of made this transition themselves. But um, um, I know enough about farming to know it's not the easiest job. It's not the easiest profession. Um, and do you have an active farm yourself? Do you own, own a farm? Uh, yes, we still have the family farm in central Missouri. Uh, my, my dad is still, uh, well, he's in a nursing home now, but basically he gets out there every time someone will take him. Uh, and my cousin farms still the in the land family. Farm That's great. Now, how so it's still did you growing up as a boy on a farm in Missouri, uh, to pronounce it correctly, how did you, um, get the bug about technology, science and, and doing this kind of company? How did that happen? I started out when I went off to college with the idea I was going to get a, a degree in agriculture and then come back to the farm. Uh, and then uh, just by chance, I got a part-time job working for a researcher in the crop science area there. This was at the University of Missouri. And uh, I just fell in love with it. It gave me a chance to do something that was very creative at the same time I was still connected to the, to the farm. It was just in a different way. And I might add that it's probably a lot easier to be a researcher <laughs> that than could it is be. to be a farmer. But what did you do in, in terms of crop science? How did you pursue that? What do you Are you in the lab with that? Or are you in the field or both? Uh, it's both. What we do is uh, when we discover a trait that's of interest uh, commercially, uh, we have, again, we use a contract research company that will develop molecular markers for that trait so we can track the, uh, the presence of that trait in any line that we are uh, commercializing. And so that becomes very important too. So that's a laboratory thing. We don't do it ourselves, but it's, it's important. It's fairly common in the industry. A lot of the same uh, technology that's used in 
medical science is also used. Okay, so this is interesting. You're, you come by this honestly as a farmer yourself. You're still a farmer. The family farm still is in, in place and being, uh, being worked uh, as we speak. How do you move forward with this? What is the next big milestone for you with Native Traits? Well, the big milestone is to scale up the commercial the, commer, the commercial production of the lines that we have that contain these traits uh, and, and market them through our seed company partners. Uh, and that's a process that is, is critical, but the technology is there. We have good partners that are very good at producing seed. It's just that we control the seed and uh, keep it within our uh you know, the other question that's always going to come up, because you're taking um, information, data about seeds um, from a publicly available database, what's to stop um, anyone literally from swooping in and kind of doing what you did, replicating or even bettering what you did? What, what, are, the, what are the barriers to entry in that sense? Again, that's a very good question. These traits are uh, coded for by multiple genes. So it'd be very difficult for someone who doesn't have the right technology, the technology that we have, to basically figure out what is the combination of genes that we have. Uh, and then the other thing too, is we maintain strict control of the lines that contain these genes. And we only re release them to our seed company partners. So unless there was some sort of theft uh, where someone might go into the field and actually steal it, which of course would be a crime, uh, uh, it'd be very difficult for someone to- Could, could somebody go into the field and um, take some corn plants and uh, in, in effect reverse engineer the, the process? They could try, easy. but that would be a very difficult proposition. Because there's so many, because there's genes and you know several genes involved in. Uh, so getting what the happened? Right I mean, these these are you, we've mentioned they're ancestral, they're kind of ancient strains. Some of them. Um, how come they fell out of use? Do you know anything about the history of uh, these genes, uh, these particular strains of corn before you came along, and and how come they've been sitting in the warehouse effectively, sitting in the database? for all these years? Again, it comes down to technology of being able to screen these different strains uh, with you know 20 some odd thousand of them that would be uh, looking for a needle in a haystack to know which strain to, to use to even screen for a particular trait. Um, and also what I did many years ago uh, was I, I visited different universities around the country and talked to uh, professors there. And it's interesting, a lot of this is not recorded in the published literature, it's anecdotal. Whereas a professor might know of a farmer somewhere who had a strain of corn that his grandfather used. Uh, and of course, uh, if you know what it is that you're looking for, that helps you. Uh, because these strains, these old strains, weren't given numbers like, you know, modern varieties of corn are given numbers. 
uh, that the seed company uses for marketing, but they would name them the, the strains after mm -hmm. themselves or the county that they lived in, or a lot of it was whimsical. Uh, uh, you know, one of my favorite is uh, Ozark Market. <laughs> Wait a minute, Ozark Market strain of corn. Uh, so, oh boy! Yeah, Ozark Mortgage Lifter. Uh, so the, the, there was a little bit of whimsy involved in the naming, but uh, that's how you have to, to go about things because otherwise you're you really are starting. Uh, you know, and not to be confused with the Ozark Television Show that just uh, just concluded on Netflix. <laughs> that's pretty funny. So what? Um, You've started with That's corn, correct. obviously. Um, what is the plan moving forward, and what is the scalability of this? In other words, um, is there any – I assume the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, has a plethora, to say the least, of grains in its state, various databases, corn and and all kinds of things. Do you plan, is corn kind of the starting point for you or do you stick with corn uh, moving forward uh, rather than jump into some other, some other strains and other um, species, I guess? Uh, that that uh, is a very good question as well. The um, corn is a good way to start because it's a very major crop. It's one of the big three mm. along with rice and wheat. Um, and so it's a good place to start, not just because it's the size of the market, but also because it, the genome of corn is more simple than these other crops. Uh, and it's been sequenced uh, genetically, many genet times. And so that was one, I think yeah. it was the actual first crop yeah. that was sequenced. That's right. It was genetically sequenced. Uh, and so what you can now do is once we know what the genes are that we've discovered in corn, we can uh, develop molecular probes that you can use in the laboratory. Again, it's scaled up uh, that you can go look for the same genes in wheat and rice and sorghum. And that effort is just now getting underway. Uh, but that becomes a much simpler process. So you're, you're in effect, uh, uh, Jim, you're, you're in effect a, um, a seed entrepreneur, I think we can call you. Um, is, uh, are you alone out there? Are there hundreds of seed entrepreneurs? Are there many others trying to tap into the uh, public databases of, of grains? Not many, really. The universities uh, do some work in this area and the very large companies do. But again, it all comes down to technology. You have to have an efficient way of screening yeah. uh, the strains. Uh, and it might also say that it's not just a question of finding the right strain with the right trait in it, but then you have to get that trait. How do you do that? How do you make uh, that happen? Because the, the strain... Uh, that's a good question. Uh, basically, we let Mother Nature do it. There's no uh, genetic, you know, transgenetic uh, manipulations going on, but we would do the same sort of uh, crosses that corn breeders have always done that are non-GMO. So this is maybe uh, a, 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 a distinction other people understand better than I, but 
But we know that um, there's gen genetic engineering among food supply, among seed, right? And but but you what you you would not classify what you're doing right. as genetic engineering, right? Now, what's the difference? Because you are doing something with genes. Um, you are taking advantage of the sequencing. So what's the difference between that and what we would call genetic engineering or GMOs, genetically modified? Uh, genetic engineering, right. Uh, uh, GMO type products are always products where a gene that doesn't naturally exist in that species from a different transfer to that species the gmo uh, products that are right i mean the the transgenic or gmo products that are on the market now contain bacterial genes uh, which would not be there normally so that's the key difference and you have to use genetic engineering techniques to get a okay. bacterial gene and in your case plant. you're it's corn into corn. It's not corn into um, shark or corn into <laughs> a shrimp. It's corn into corn. Into corn. Um, That's correct. And what, what exactly about right. that for you as a farmer, as a, you know, a, a, a farmer who goes back generations, um, why is that important to you? Well, I think it's interesting in the sense that we tend to get into a, uh, an argument uh, about food safety uh, and environmental impacts. And those are important arguments. But there's also something that I think is just very intrinsic to us as human beings. We want things that are natural. We don't want anything that's artificial. And if it's genetically engineered, it's obviously not natural. So that, I think that subtle thing is oftentimes ignored, but I think that's really the key driver. We always want uh, food products that are natural and not artificial. The artificial yeah, things we don't trust. That's just part of our basic human. I, I would uh, agree with that, but uh, I think one psychology. of the problems is that the uh, word natural, the word organic, uh, those terms have been so bastardized and um, misused that, um, you know, it, it's almost hard to define what is, I mean, I think you have defined it very well for us, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's not a simple thing because the language has kind of taken on a life of its own. But um, you can't do much about that. You can just grow some good crops, right? That's correct, although, and we'll see how well it works out. Uh, uh, there are um, labeling laws that are coming into play. Some have actually been in, 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 in force for quite a few years where a product that is organic has to be labeled in a way that, <clears throat> excuse me, sure. uh, would distinguish sure, it. Sure, there, yeah, that's definitely, that's a, yeah, that's, so a, that's uh, definitely starting to happen. Well, Jim, I want to thank you so much for being on with us today. I really appreciate it. Um, we, we've been on uh, the Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me with Jim Frederick. He's the CEO of Native Traits. Um, and he is coming to us uh, live via podcast in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where he uh, is still working uh, the land, trying to develop ancestral corn 
crops um, and and selling them through distributor networks. And Jim, thank you so much for being with you. Uh, we want to definitely wish you the best of luck. Thanks for being with us, I should say. Th and we want to wish you the best. And I uh, appreciate thank you for it. Having and uh, this this is the accelerator. I'm Michael Conniff. Thank you for having um, me. You can reach me um, at Twitter at michaelconiff.com. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-N-N-I-F-F. You could go to my website. Also, michaelconiff.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-N-N-I-F-F. -F. It's great to be here, and we will be back with more of The Accelerator before you know it.